You know, the good thing about having a cold for me, a, a little cold, is my voice gets deeper. <laughs> when I get excited, I don't talk, I don't sound like a mouse. Um, anyway, that's not what this is about today. Um, welcome to Reignite Church. I'm Pastor Marshall. I'm glad you're here. Um, we are in a vision series called, what? Disruptive Faith. Disruptive Faith. We're in a vision series, that's right, called Disruptive Faith. Pastor, what is disruptive faith? Disruptive faith is described best by A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer said, disruptive faith is expecting God to interrupt your life. I'll say that again. Let me rewind the track. Disruptive faith is expecting God to interrupt your life. So we have to be a disruptive, I can't even say it now, a disruptive church. We have to be a disruptive church. In 2 Corinthians, if you'll meet me over there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13 through 18, we're going we're gonna to share a little bit about what that looks like. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it'll be on the screen here in a moment. I want you to follow along with me. The scripture says in verse 13, 2 Corinthians 5, 13, it says that if it seems, this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. He's in Ephesus, but he's writing to them back in Corinth. Verse 13, if it seems we are crazy, it is, to bring, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. He's talking about the disciples. Either way, Christ's love controls us since we believe that Christ died for all. We also believe that we have all died to our old life. That's everyone that believes in Jesus Christ. Every, every believer has died to their old lives once they believe in Christ. Verse 15. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. How many of y'all are still living for yourselves, though? Okay, I'm going to stop meddling. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Verse 16. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. See, that's what happens when we, when we accept Christ and we know that our old person is done away with and he gives us a new start. We don't, we don't need to wait for a January. When, when we believe on Christ, he gives us a new start and we stop evaluating others. Okay, there I go meddling again. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. <laughs> he came, he walked, he was raised, he died, he was raised. How differently we know him now. Man, Paul's going in. Verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. I'd like to call your attention back to verse 13. If it seem we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. I want to preach for a few minutes on the subject, the disruptive church. The disruptive church. 
The disruptive church, church, (laughs) is sometimes a misunderstood church. The disruptive church is. Has anyone ever mistaken your kindness for weakness? You know, I'm saying the disruptive church, but I'm also talking about you when I say church. At the time of this little issues coming up, you know, when you have a new church, a, a young church, a reignite church, there's, there's always going to be some issues. There's going to be some problems that come up. And Paul was handling them, but they didn't like, everybody didn't like the way Paul was handling his leadership to answer the problems, to, to, to fix the problems, to answer the questions. So Paul, I say Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, I say that like everybody knows who it is. When you come to church, everybody doesn't know who I'm talking about. Paul is St. Paul. Paul was a, uh, a Pharisee. He was one of the leaders. He opposed Christianity. He opposed Christianity, and then on the road to Damascus, the Bible says, you know your Bible? It says that on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with God, and it changed his trajectory of what he was doing. So he was overzealous for God here and he, when he thought he was doing right. But when God showed him the new way, he, he, he changed his name also. And, and, and he was overzealous for God over here. Sometimes why, why do we get overzealous for God? When, I mean, overzealous in our, in our own, on our own behalf when we're going to football games and when we're at basketball games and we're cheering. And I, I love halftime because they're playing the music at the games and stuff. And, and then and we get over here with Christianity and, and, and we're a new creature. We're a new person. And then we want to act like we receive it, Lord. But then, then when I see you at the game, you're over here, and you're like, get him, get him, especially if your kid is out there, somebody you know. You're overzealous over here, but when you get over here, when your new nature, <laughs> when your new nature comes, you forget all about how to be disruptive over here because you're not comfortable with it over here. Mm. Anyway, Paul, Paul, he, and they had all kinds of problems that came up. The, the church in Corinth was messy. It was, a, it was an ancient church, but then things started to happen um, where the, the church began to prosper. I mean, they, they had um, this, this church on the hill where they would come and worship and prostitutes and everything was there. They would turn up. And then they, got, they became a little prosperous. And so they would always reach back to Paul. Paul would always reach back to them via, via letter and check on them and see how things were going. But he was misunderstood at this point. He was misunderstood. Someone didn't like what he was saying. They didn't like his leadership. Have y'all ever been misunderstood? (laughs) I'm in good company. Sometimes acting on God's behalf makes people misunderstand us, doesn't it? When we act on God's behalf. um, Jesus was misunderstood too. Did you know that? Jesus, when he came in the man form, Jesus, the Savior, when he went to the cross, that Jesus, Jesus was misunderstood. I, I, I remember when, when, you maybe remember, if you know your Bible, you remember when Jesus was on a, on a boat, and he was taking his disciples over to the other side um, to get away from the people, to, to, to have time with them, and a storm came up, and Jesus was on the boat sleep. Y'all remember that in Sunday School 101? Jesus is on the boat, he's sleeping, and the disciples all scatter around crazy. They, Jesus was misunderstood. They thought he didn't care because he slept during the storm. Jesus was awakened, and then Jesus got up and said, peace be still. Oh, disciples, church, where's your faith? You've been, you've been making coffee for a while at the church. Where's your faith? You've been putting up signs forever. Where's your faith? It wasn't that he didn't care that there was a storm. He was wondering where their faith was. 
Oh, Jesus was also misunderstood in another, another situation. If y'all know your Bible, Jesus was misunderstood when Lazarus died. Oh, he loved that family. But when he died, he stayed another three, four days. And then he came and, and Martha, uh, Martha ran out and was like, if you would have been here, if, if you would have been here, my, my brother wouldn't have died. But he was setting up a situation to give God glory because he knew he was going to raise Lazarus. He said, oh, he's asleep. But, but they understood. Ma- Mary stayed in the house because she, she assumed that Jesus didn't care. You didn't care about my brother, so she's not going to run out with her sister. Oh, Jesus was, Jesus was misunderstood. The disruptive church can sometimes be misunderstood. The disruptive individual can sometimes be misunderstood. They thought he didn't care about them. But then John tells us in his gospel that Jesus died for the world. Oh, man, how, how much did he care? In retrospect, he died for the world. Fill in the blank with me. You, you might be misunderstood if, fill that in, if, if, if you come to church on your day off. It, it might be the only day you got off, but you, but you come to church and work. You, you might understand if you take your hard-earned money and give it to a God that you don't see. You, you, might be under, you might be misunderstood if you serve a God that you can't see, but you can feel. Oh, man. You might be misunderstood by people you're learning to be your family. You're trusting to be your family, but they're not, relation. They're not in relation to you. Fill in the blank. You may be misunderstood if your faith is disruptive. Sometimes I feel like a nut. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm misunderstood. Sometimes God is telling me to do some crazy things, some crazy things, like meet in a school and expect people to come. <laughs> they, they say that, we're just talking about being misunderstood as a church. Uh, they, they say that method acting is a technique pioneered by Lee Strasberg that dates back to the 1930s, method acting. Um, this was a preferred way for some actors to prepare for realistic roles. So, so um, while preparing, these actors, these actors were often misunderstood as they were preparing to, to show themselves to you on the screen. For example, uh, uh, physical transformation is a, mis, is, a mis, uh, is a misconception about what it means to be a, a good method actor. It's not about the physical transformation. Tr- uh, the method acting, the ones that do good me- method acting, those are uh, psychological I- actors. They go into the psychological role, and, and, and they prepare themselves. I'm going to give you an example. Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight as the Joker. Y'all remember him? Before he died, he said this. He, he, he was a good method actor. Before he died, he said uh, he prepared for the role by, uh, of the Joker uh, by locking himself in a hotel room for a month and experimented with voices until he found his iconic laugh in the Joker. He locked himself away for a month, preparing, preparing. See, see method actors are passionate about what they do, and a disruptive church has to be passionate about what they do. I'm going to give you another one. Robert De Niro, y'all may know him, this, little, this young actor. Uh, Robert De Niro, also known for his method acting and, and roles like The Godfather and Raging Bull. And Raging Bull, he put on like 60 pounds and he learned to box. Learned to box for real. Um, method acting. Good method actors, they engross themselves 
in their roles. And sometimes people, you know, you can think of some Jack Nicholas, you know, man, in, in, the, in The Shining. Have y'all seen Jack Nicholas in some roles? How they go in? Um, uh, Michael B. Jordan, they, he, he, was taught, he was said to have, when he, prepare, he prepared for his role, Creed, he took on boxing and trained as if he was a boxer as well. Um, I, I, um, also, Michael B. Jordan, it was said that when he prepared for his role in the Black Panther, um, uh, what was his name, Killmonger? Killmonger on there, he said he went, he, the, the character was so dark, what he would do is he would journal his, his character, and then he would recluse himself away from his family. He wouldn't speak to his family or anything that much because the, the character was a lonely character, and he wanted to come all the way full circle to pro- project that onto the screen. Method actors are, are passionate about their roles, and we have to be passionate about how we see ourselves as a disruptive church. So what does, that, so what does a disruptive church look, look like in the 21st century? Um, it looks like this, a misunderstood church, a church that, a, a church that sits there and, and buys food for the, for the kids once a month and to feed them all month, feed their families, misunderstood. Um, it looks like a church, that's, a church that's passionate to reach the staff here, a church that's passionate to reach souls here, a church that comes out in the rain you know, even when they don't feel, they don't feel the best. Um, we, we are a church that expects God to interrupt our lives. But let me give you three things that uh, a disruptive church may be, may be misunderstood in. A disruptive church is, is, is one that brings glory to God. A disruptive church is one um, that benefits others. A disruptive church, thirdly, is a uh, disruptive church that builds on the love of Christ. A disruptive church brings glory to God. Paul claims that everything he does, he does for God. Imagine that. Few can say that. Everything he does, he does to the glory of God. If we're going to be a disruptive church, if you're going to be a disruptive Christian, everything you do, you should do to the glory of God. Even if you're angry. You may be right in your anger, but that's not righteous. Man, we have a tendency to promote ourselves and our, our, our goals and our agendas. But we have to understand that nobody can promote us better than God. You can promote yourself, but no one can promote you better than God. Man. And when Paul, when Paul found the Corinthian culture, when he, when he found the Corinthian culture in moral decline, he, he, didn't, he didn't promote himself. He, he kept it real. He kept it 100. He kept it all about Jesus when he could have kept it about himself. I started the church. I'm the one that gathered the people there. I'm the one that's encouraging you. I'm the one traveling back and forth. But Paul, didn't t- he, didn't, he didn't go there when people were criticizing his ministry. He made it about Jesus. He made it about Jesus. We can learn from this. We, we all have our own self-concerns, don't we? But is Christ known by what we do? I'm going to let that sap on the room. I think we can do better. <clears throat> I think we can do better. Sometimes we have to do better by admitting our faults. One of the things I want to do better is I want to rebrand us. 
I want to rebrand this as a church. Um, we have another sister church, another, another friend of mine, who's helping us with rebranding. Um, one of the things we're going to start rebranding is our logo. Our logo, the color, the wording, how it is. It's not the R-E flipped and then ignite, but it's going to be our little lowercase e, ignite, church, reignite, reignite, church. And it's going to be that Tiffany bluish, greenish color. And, and, and what we're going to do, and, and, and in two weeks, we'll have, we'll have more flags because we need to rebrand ourselves. And if we're going to be disruptive, we need to, we need to highlight Jesus. We need to, we need to make sure that when we need to do a better job on the corner. We started off with like six flags out there, and now we got like two flags because they started tearing up. Sometimes they tear up because people are so disruptive with the, how they put them away. Anyway, so, so we're going to have some new flags. We're going to have flags all on the corner. And we're going to have some sandwich boards that, that when you come in, it's going to say, have a, have a great day. When you leave, it's going, when you come in, it's going to say, you know, we love you, Reignite Church. We're going to have some cards for you to hand out. We're going to rebrand ourselves. So you're going to have flags. We're going to have signage. We're going to have, we're going to have signs in the road. But that, that's not going to happen if, if y'all don't show up to do it. I think we need to do a better job at highlighting Jesus. So that's, that's my fault. That's my fault. I, I've had someone come and visit before, and they said, oh, I didn't know where you guys were until they got like right up on, right up on us. And then you see our two little flags. But we used to have six. But pastor can't put those flags out. So, so there's going to be some things we have to do. We got to do better. We got we to rebrand ourselves. And, and every so often you should rebrand yourselves to show Jesus. So everyone, wherever they go, they will, they will see our logo and they will remember our logo. They'll, they'll see the T-shirts. They'll see the logos. They'll see the flags. When they come here, they remember, oh, this is a church that's on fire for God, that loves God, loving everyone. So a disruptive church brings glory to God, and we'll do that on the corner. Secondly, a disruptive church benefits others. I finally figured out why some of you don't speak and why some of you don't smile. Uh-huh. I figured it out. Finally figured it out. Recently, her, her publicist... Um, uh, Kim Kardashian's publicist um, noted that she don't, t- she don't smile in photos because she's worried about wrinkles. Yeah, so, 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 so as a good pastor, I'm always doing research. So I had to look at some photos of Kim Kardashian, and I had to see, is that true? Is that true? But something I saw and something I heard, I was like, well, maybe that's why some of my people don't smile because they're, they're worried about wrinkles. Y'all some cute Christians. You know, I ain't going to smile because. <laughs> oh, my gosh, my gosh. I'll tell you, it's okay to smile. You know, I was at, I was at Cracker Barrel the other day. I'm going to give you this for free. Um, I was at Cracker Barrel the other day. I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but, you know, we were serving some food, and I said, you know, I'm going to get the old-timer you know, at Cracker Barrel. So that's like three pancakes and, you know, three, three meats and all kinds of stuff. You know your pastor can eat. And, and, but when I said, I'm going to get the old timer, the, the lady said, oh, you're not that old. I said, ma'am, <laughs> you just don't know. <laughs> she how old can you be? And I said, I'm about your age. You know, I told her my age. She was like, really? But anyway, um, so you can smile and still be cute. You can smile, and I have to worry about wrinkles. 
She thought I was young because I was smiling. Um, John Mayer once said that if you're pretty, you're pretty. But the only way to be beautiful is to be loving. Otherwise, it's just congratulations about your face. Mm. If your faith benefits you most, then you're doing it wrong, church. If your faith or your face is benefiting you, then you're doing it wrong. We're in the business of benefiting others. And disruptive church brings glory to God and it benefits others. Thirdly, a disruptive church builds on the love of Christ. Oh, man. Many are misunderstood because we, are, because we misunderstand how to build. Let me rewind it back, give it to you again. Many are misunderstood because we misunderstand how to build. Yeah. Paul says in verse 14, Paul says, Christ's love controls us. Christ's love controls us. As he's writing to the church and he's talking about, you know, uh, lifting them up. And he's, and he's talking about the love of Christ and how it makes a generational difference and how it makes an ethnic difference. Because he's writing to a multi-ethnic community that has all kinds of issues. He said, Christ's love controls us. You're going to have some issues going on. You're going to have some things you're concerned about. You may even be misunderstood and, and offended. But, but Christ's love controls us. We get it wrong, don't we? We get it wrong because we think our love makes the difference. Instead of focusing on Christ's love to us making a difference. And that's why sometimes we're hot and we're going and we're going and we're going. And then other times you're cold and we won't see you for three months. Christ don't see you for three months. And you're burnt out, you're, you're discouraged, you're whatever, because you are focusing on your love for people. Oh man, if I had to depend on your love for me, I'm depending on Christ's love in you for me. And vice versa. Amen? That's how it should be. We should focus on what Christ did. Christ went out of his way. God bankrupt heaven so that you would have a next day opportunity to say, to say I'm going to serve him or I'm going to do my own thing. Christ's love. Paul was saying Christ's love should benefit others and Christ's love should make a difference in your life and in the church's life. Our love for others is right up there with food, fun, and fellowship. And both of them are, all three of them are fleeting. <laughs> yeah, that's the things we love. Food, fun, and fellowship. I want to make an eisegetical assumption. In other words, I, I just want to impose uh, my opinion on the text. I'm going to share. That's what that means. Eisegetical, isolate the text. Um, we can't read the Bible isolated and not read the whole context. As a matter of fact, your homework is to read all of chapter 5. But I'm going to give my opinion of the text. Paul was a hard worker. He traveled, he reached all kinds of people. In fact, he left what he knew in, Jude, in Judaism. He left that. He was, he, was bringing, he was bringing Christians to their death because he thought he was serving God the right way. Judaism, I mean, that, that, that was far-reaching. Most, most people, if you were a leader, you were, you were serving that. So when God changed him, he was just as zealous. And actually in chapter 11, 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about, he's bragging about, I was shipwrecked, I was, uh, um, I was beaten, I was, I was starved. All these things that happened to him. And, and, and I believe if I can impose my, my opinion and my eisegetical assumption of the text, I believe if, if, if people ask, Jay, if you asked him, Paul, what kept you going? 
Why do you do it? Paul would say, because of the love of Christ. Because of the love of Christ. Why do you come out in the cold? Because of the love of Christ. Why do you give of your time, talent, and treasures? Because of the love of Christ. Paul, did you hear what they say about you? Why, why are you coming? Why are you doing this? Why are you still writing and sending letters and gifts back? Because of the love of Christ. I believe that's what he would say if asked today. When Christ identified with the sin of humanity, he gave sinners the opportunity to become part of the family of God. Are you glad about that? Mm. You might not feel a part of any other family. Sometimes it's hard to be a part of your own family. I'm out here by myself. Y'all going to leave me out here by myself? Sometimes only the family of God is all you got. Man, when we're a part of something like this, when we're a part of the church, Paul was, what he was doing, he was far reaching, but what he was doing, he was talking about the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. Now when I'm disappointed, now when I'm angry, I'm mad, or I'm upset, I don't have to use Saturday words. Y'all know what Saturday words are? Okay. Thought I was going to have to define it. When my friends turn to frenemies, I can still smile. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, he, he wrote about the centrality of the cross. He was, he was saying, this is why you should serve God. As we start this church, this is why you should serve God. This is what Christ has done. He, he's he's going to go to the cross. He's going to give of himself. And then the second letter here in 2 Corinthians, he's writing all about why the cross was important and what it means to them now. It means that black and white, Jew and Gentile, the Gentile is just anyone other than a Jew. That, it, that's all inclusive. I told you last week when we talked about uh, what, what disruptive faith looks like, yeah, there was a dividing wall in the temple that you could come in, but you know, if, if, if this was the temple today, then um, some would come in, the Jews would come all the way into the auditorium, but if you were a Gentile, you had to stay out there in a the hall. There was a dividing wall, but the Bible says that God in, in his sovereignty and his grace and his mercy, he broke down the wall of hostility. And so Paul was like, now everybody can come. That's the ministry of reconciliation. So Paul was saying, we got, big, we got bigger issues. We got to bring people together. We got to bring people together. So that's what it means for Jesus to die and be raised. That's the, God, that's the kind of God we serve. And so in verse 16, he says, at one point we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. Jesus walked with us. He gave his life for us. And Paul is saying, that's how we knew him then. He walked with us. He gave his life for us. But how we know him now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. How we know him now is we have to walk by faith and not by sight because he's a God that we can't see. But sometimes we can feel. When we pray to him, he does things in our lives that, that manifest his presence in us. And, and it gives us opportunity to grow in our faith, doesn't he? To grow from faith to faith. You know, when you start trusting God in the little, you know, how many of you, in, in something just as tangible as money, you, you say, oh, pastor, I can't, I can't afford, the Bible says to give 10% of that. Uh, pastor, I can't afford that, but I can start off with 1%. Something tangible as money. 
And then, and then you saw how God met your need, and then yet he grew it to 5% maybe. And then eventually you, you end up giving 10%, some of you. Some of you. If, if, if we're going to build a church, can, can I give you a news flash? If we're going to build a church and we're going to get out of this building, some of y'all are going to have to get up off the 10%, the tangible little stuff, and trust him. I don't need it. He needs it. Okay, I'm meddling again. I'm meddling again. After the cross, I mean, if the cross made a difference in your life, if the cross has done anything for you, 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 you can't say, God, I serve you, but your life doesn't reflect you do. <laughs> I mean, the devil comes to church. If, if the devil wasn't ever in church, then how the spirit of the enemy wasn't ever in the church, how would anyone ever get saved? People get saved because they come in with all kinds of situations and circumstances. And yet, God gets a hold of their heart. After the cross, Jesus rose from the grave and a new life was made. A new era was started and the church was rebranded in Corinth. It was rebranded. It was a church that was for everybody now. Anyone could come. The wall of hostility was removed. If you're waiting for a ministry here at the church, th there it is. It's the ministry to reach everybody, to share your faith with everybody. It's a ministry to love everybody. I said it's a ministry to reach and love everybody. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Yeah, I know your, your pastor is black. I know you see diversity on the stage. I know we have different ethnicities serving in the church. But are you sharing your faith with anybody? The disruptive church is often misunderstood when you're doing things for God. People are going to wonder, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you saying what you're saying? Jesus, you're in good company. Jesus was often misunderstood. As we're preparing to close out, I want to share one last thing with you before we leave. This weekend, I want to say probably Friday, wasn't yesterday, probably Friday, I ran into an old friend. Actually, he's a Navy co-worker. Um, we, we worked together on one of the ships. Can't remember which one. He was like my right-hand person. He was like my right-hand guy. If I needed something to get done, I would just ask him to do it. Boom, it was done, 100%. Didn't have to worry about it. And I was an admin guy, so everything we did affected pay, it affected people's careers. You know, an admin, you affect everything. Um, after a while, I didn't have to ask him to do stuff. I would just look at him. He, I, I got it, Chief. I got it. I got it. Um, anyway, this guy, old sailor, um, ran into him in the, in the store in Walmart Friday. And uh, he's always been really nice and outgoing and everything. And we caught up. We shared some stuff. And uh, he asked me how things were going. I told him about the church. And we talked about the family. And Tiffany came around the corner. And and, and she was talking, and, hey, good to see you, good to see you, as we're catching up. And, and I asked him, How's he, how are you doing? How are you doing? He said, oh, I'm doing good. And he was telling me about him and his boyfriend and uh, 
how they've been traveling and doing stuff and how God's blessed. I mean, not, not God blessed, but how, how he had opportunity to go here and to go there. And, and now he's um, moved up in a career and how things are going good for him and, and, uh, and, and his boyfriend. And, and, and they have a house and everything, beautiful house and in this one neighborhood not too far from here. And, and I thought, what do, you, what do you do with that? Some of y'all caught what I said, right? And so I thought for a second as we're talking, and I'll tell you what I did. I took out my phone and I, and I asked him, I said, hey man, give me your number. And he gave me his number and I gave him my number and we text right there to make sure we had it. And I said, hey, we need to get up sometimes and let's do lunch. And he looked at me kind of shocked and yet happy. So let's do lunch. And I gave him a huge, huge hug. I said, love you, man. He said, love you too. And I thought, this is what I thought. What, what if we stop saying as a church, as individuals, what if we stop saying love you and we start sharing and showing that God loves you? What if we start doing that? You wanna talk about a disruptive church? That's what a disruptive community looks like. Showing that God loves everybody. Not just people we prefer, not just situations we prefer, but a disruptive church loves everybody. Everybody is, is, is on our radar for reconciliation to God. Everybody. No exclusivity. No exclusivity. That was biblical antiquity. That's not the 21st century church. Be passionate about our performances, whatever it takes to perform, whatever it takes to perform, whatever I got to do, not just the pastor studying, not just the, not just the singers coming on Wednesday and practicing and, 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 and everything. We'll be, we'll, be, we'll be studying during the week. We'll be passionate about that role. You know, it's about the weekend when it comes to church. We have that one hour to glorify God with new people present. But we got our lives to prepare to share at the coffee, at the coffee pot, at the water cooler, in Walmart. We will be passionate about doing that. If we stop saying, I love you, and start showing God loves you, we will be controlled by Christ, by Christ's love, not my love for Christ. Because buildings don't make a church. People do. People do. Hope you love your pastor. Read chapter 5 when you get home, 2 Corinthians 5 in its entirety, because he says some good stuff, and he, he culminates it at the end about what a church, how, how a church should make a difference in the lives of the community. I want to pray that God will give you permission to be disruptive. Would you stand with me? with every head bowed and every eye closed. I pray that as we stand together, we will be serious about our faith and stop, and stop coming when it's convenient. I pray that we will stop giving when it's comfortable. I pray that we, we start serving because it's in our heart to do it. I pray that we will start smiling because we have a purpose. I pray that we be part of a family 
because it's what God had in mind. As you're standing there and you're praying with your head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder, have you been misunderstood? Have you been misunderstood? Or should I rephrase it and say it like this? Have you been misunderstood enough to be his? Yeah. That's what I want to pray about. If you need prayer, I'm going to ask you what, why everyone's bowing and praying. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you need prayers. I, I just want to agree with you. I see hands. I just want to agree with you this week. I want to agree with you. Let me see your hands. If you, if you need prayer, there's, there's something. There's something. There's something. There's, there may be even something that God put on your heart today. Right now, there's something. Amen. I see your hands. Maybe there's somebody here. You can put your hands down. Maybe there's somebody here. You don't know Christ. And how can he make a difference in your life if you haven't surrendered it to him? If that's you, I want you to look up at me right now. If that's you, if you don't know Christ, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to look up at me. You can know Christ today. You can know Christ today. All you have to do is say this prayer. Dear Lord, I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Lord, I trust you with my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.